Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is scaling profitability an important topic in mortgage banking. I have a terrific expert today who's going to share her thoughts, Maria Fagosi. Maria is Chief Financial Officer at HomePoint Financial. Prior to that, she was with AB and AMRO. Prior to that, Interfirst. Uh, Maria has done everything in mortgage banking from structured finance, investment banking, uh, factoring, securities, and international finance. I'm thrilled to have her. Hi, Maria. Hi, Pat. Happy to be here. Well, this is a great topic, and you're the perfect person to talk about that. But before we kind of jump into it, let's talk about how you got into mortgage banking, and then let's talk about how you got into managing. Great. Yeah, I never intended to get into mortgage banking. I guess like uh, many people in the mortgage banking sector, you can't go to school for mortgage banking, so uh, you often fall into it. My background, as you, you said in the intro, was in investment banking. So I started in investment banking and I was primarily doing asset-backed securities, so credit card-backed securities and, and autos. And at the time I was working at uh, Moody's Investor Service rating deals and they needed rating analysts on the mortgage side because it was really busy back then. And I volunteered. So I figured I could expand my knowledge to get into the mortgage sector. And lo and behold, I ended up never leaving and, and spent the rest of my career uh, in mortgage banking. So how did you get into managing? Yeah, so then I ended up going to AB and AMRO on the investment banking side, and we were uh, underwriting deals, and we were started. We had just acquired um, a very large mortgage company, which was Interfirst or Stanford Bank, and they really needed to get a whole program set up for them to do jumbo loans and jumbo securitizations. So I met with Willie Newman, who's the current HomePoint Financial CEO, and he was over at Interfirst, and we were very like-minded and put together a program to do jumbo securitizations. And before I knew it, I was so busy, I needed a staff of people to be able to help me do those investment banking transactions. So I went out and hired my, my first employee and was off to the races with, with becoming a manager. So what was the best advice you ever received on managing? So, you know, for me, the best advice I think I ever received was to make sure that you always explain the why. And I, I think that was very important for me. I was often working with teams and directing teams that didn't report directly to me. So I wasn't necessarily managing them, but I absolutely needed them to do stuff. So I found I had a, a much greater success if I could go to that team and explain why it was so important that I needed them uh, to contribute to a specific project and why it was that that was going to contribute either to the company's bottom line or, or move things forward. You know, people understanding where they fit within the organization and how they're helping an organization achieve a, a goal makes it much easier to, to manage them and frankly has them come up with some really great ideas be able to move a project forward. So that's advice I took and I've, I've used it um, throughout my career. So when you look at managing as a topic, were you one to read books on it or, or, or talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm a huge reader. I read two to three books a week, but I tend not to read self-help books. I do love to read autobiographies uh, so and nonfiction books as well as fiction. 
So, but I wouldn't say I really read management books. But the advice I always give people when they are they ask, you know, what should I read or what would help me be a better manager? I always give them two things. One, you should read the Wall Street Journal every day. And I often get asked like why. But it's so interesting just the threads of things that come up from reading, you know, articles about other companies or, you know, hearing what's happening with another company that just strikes a chord with you in a way that you can further your own company. And whether that's you know, looking at an aspirational manager who's doing something really great or, you know, just a thread of an idea on how somebody's doing something. So I'd say that, number one. And number two, I read Harvard Business Review. So Harvard Business Review does primarily case studies. And it's a really good way to see, you know, how it is that people did specific things, actions um, around specific topics. And what I've found is often those Harvard Business Review articles end up being worked into full-blown books. So I feel like I, I sometimes have a little bit of an edge because I, I might have read the, HBO, the Harvard Business article before it actually even turns into a book. Well, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I read that myself. And now, just for all the listeners, it's only $99 a year. And not only do you get the magazine, but you get the online. It's just really worth it. I, I'm, I'm with you on that topic for sure. So when you look at it's short. Yeah, it's you're short. like you're not, but you, you know, you don't have to go to a whole book, right? You, you need something that's a little bit shorter at, at your leisure. So yeah. um, I really love it. Yeah. I do too, for sure. And so when you look at your career and you've had so many incredible accomplishments, what was your greatest victory in your career and, and what was the greatest lesson that you learned in your career? So I'm going to hit, I, I think, two of my greatest victories. I mean, one would be when I was at Avian Amro, I, I, I had a vision to start up a, a full-blown capital markets group. I, I saw an opportunity to be able to get in and, and trade whole loans versus doing securitized transactions. And I was convinced it was, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I think when I was convinced, I was pretty much the only one who was convinced. <laughs> so at ABN Amaro, which was a giant global bank, I ended up meeting and I counted it with, you know, three to five, 342 people um, to get approval to start up my capital markets group. And it ended up being, you know, tremendously successful. My timing, what I had seen from the timing, it, it was really the right time to do it. So, you know, that was a, a great success of my career. But I just, I'd have to put HomePoint right up there. So HomePoint, you know, we started five years ago. You know, Willie came, uh, Willie Newman, our CEO, came to recruit me to join. And at the time, he was like, I'm not sure exactly what role I want you to have, but I, I'd really like you to work alongside me as we, you know, grow up and build this company. And, you know, we started HomePoint with no one, no people, no loans, and, you know, did acquisitions and, and grew it up. And, you know, this month, we're forecast to, to fund $6.2 billion in mortgage loans. So it's been really a great a great success story um, that I'm hoping I'm in the middle of. I'm hoping it's not the end. That's a good point. What about the greatest lesson? Yeah. So, I, you know, this is something I, I think at AB and Amro, I learned very much the hard way. Um, you know, I was very invested in that business that I, I grew and I started up and I ran and, you know, we ended up doing the right thing with, for, for the company at the time, which was selling it. And, you know, that was, a very, very, you know, painful time for me personally, you know, I felt like I was almost losing my, my, my child. And I, I think one of the things that I, I discovered through that process was, while your career has to be really important to you, you need other things happening in your life. 
Sure. Uh, because, you know, there are times when, when, you know, the things are out of your hands or the timing is what the timing is and you have to do what's right for the business, even if it's not right for you personally. So making sure you kind of take care of yourself and stay focused on some of your own interests as you're going through these processes of growing and building something. That's a great point for sure. Well, let's talk about our topic today about scaling profitability. Uh, what are your thoughts and, and talk about what do you think people miss and people really don't recognize? So I would say the first thing is making sure you really understand where you are from a baseline. So before you can start to scale something, you have to really know inside and out you know, your, your metrics. You need to know your cost per loan, you need to know how many loans a, a specific function can handle. So for instance, a processor, how many loans can they handle? An underwriter, how many loans can they handle? And you know, make sure you've got all those baseline metrics put in place before you start really, you know, loading the boat with more volume. This allows you to get a little bit ahead of, you know, the hiring. You don't ever want to get too far ahead of the hiring, but making sure that you're continuing to, you know, bring people into the organization, get, you know, allowing enough time for them to be properly trained in your system, and then, you know, being able to then scale from there. And then it's really critical just to keep an eye on all the other expenses. So, you know, all your administrative expenses, because those can start to get away from you as well. And, you know, before you know it, you're overlaying scale on what is really a bloated administrative function. So when you think about the cost per loan, a lot of times what I see is not really an understanding about all of the all-in costs that really apply to that. Why don't you talk about that from your viewpoint? Yeah, so I mean, you know, you'd have to look at both the, the marginal cost as well as the fixed cost. And I, you know, I think there tends to be a focus on the marginal cost, which is, you know, very much your sales cost. You know, how much does it cost for me from a sales perspective? How much does it cost again to process the loan, et cetera? So those costs that, you know, go up as you're doing an individual unit. But then there's all those other fixed costs that you have as well that, you know, I just, discuss like you've got to have then an accounting department and you got to have an IT department and you've got to have you know an HR department and you need licensing and and so all those pieces so I think it's important to look at it both ways you need to know what those fixed costs are and then what your marginal costs are and then be able to put it together uh, to make sure that you understand the true cost before you can start to put scale on top of it and say okay where can I start to reduce my cost so when you look at that Obviously, that's a corporate view, but how do you get this methodology down to really the field? One of the things that I see in mortgage banking from being in it for all these years is that I don't see a lot of grasping of the analysis down at the field level. I see that they might understand it at the corporate level, but when you really get down to your regional and divisional levels, sometimes there's really not a grasping of, of this type of analysis. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so you know, we do a pretty we, we try to cascade the information out, um, certainly to the levels of the organization that we think need it and can influence it. Mm -hmm. So cascading it out to, you know, those regional managers, certainly the operation managers and our site leaders, because certainly they have a lot of control. Um, and then at the same time, having them continually kick the tires and gut check those numbers. So making sure that they're looking at it and go, you know, are we missing anything here? So for an example, we just did this with our servicing organization. And, you know, they were looking at some of our numbers around bankruptcy going, you know, there's just, there's something missing here because they looked at it and they were able to, 
you know, from a financial corporate point of view, we looked at it, we thought we got everything in there. And their gut feel at looking at it was, okay, there's something not in there. So, you know, we did some digging and, and found some pieces that we didn't actually include in the analysis. So you constantly need to be going back to the people who are and sometimes running the departments to say, number one, did I capture everything? And number two, like, what can we start to eliminate? A great example on the sales side is, you know, you'll see multiple credit reporting agencies or and there are places where, you know, with scale, you can now go start to negotiate on those things. Right. Um, and if you're if you're leaving some of that decision making out in the field, you're not going to be able to achieve those economies of scale that that are really what you want to drive to do with a scaled operation. So what is your thoughts about obviously in the world of mortgage banking, they measure everything on volume versus really looking at each individual person as almost a, a personal P&L. What is your thoughts on that? You know, that's interesting. I think we do that just because it's big, you know, when you're big, it's, it's, it's the easier way to do it sure. than it is trying to go and say, you know, what, how is this individual processor performing or how is this individual underwriter performing? I do think with the systems that we have out today and, you know, we use Tableau for our data reporting and we have a centralized data mark, we can start to drill down to those more detailed levels. So, you know, you should be able to look and say, okay, this underwriter is able to do, you know, more loans per day than that underwriter. What are they doing that's different? What can we learn from that so that we can start to get everybody up to this new baseline and start to establish those baselines across the organization? So that's something that, you know, we're also regularly looking at and regularly doing, um, trying to find those best practices. So when you look at the volume component, which is really the standard component within mortgage banking, and reality of it is not every loan is equal to every other loan, I sometimes think there's not really an understanding. And I guess that ties together with a lot of people do not understand the capital market side of it. So talk about that, that that when you only are basing on volume, you end up, you can be deceiving yourself because not all volumes equal. Very true. Um, I mean, both from a profit, certainly from a profitability perspective, you know, you really, especially in these, in these COVID times, you know, you need to be really looking at the type of units that you're doing. You know, we're all at capacity with rates having been where they're, they're at. So, you know, we're oftentimes taking a look to see what loans um, are easiest from a throughput perspective. So what loans can we, you know, quicker, get through the process quicker um, mm-hmm. to be able to fund, to be able to free up more capacity to, to do more loans. So there, there has to be a clear understanding of that. And then what loans are you potentially going to make more money on? So, you know, there are, is always appetite in the market for specific loan level price. We call it LLPAs, so loan level price adjusters on specific loans. So what kind of loans is the marketplace paying up for in a given environment? So when you're looking at that, does that type of information get down to the field level? And I guess the big question would be, shouldn't that be down at the field level that the individual account rep or any originator is actually recognizing here's what the market moves? I think sometimes with originators and AEs, they look at, well, rates went down, but there's a lot more to it than rates went down. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, look, I think we as an industry and us as an organization could probably do a better job of that. What happens is it tends to happen really quickly because what, mm-hmm. whatever happens 
is, is happening in the capital market. So unfortunately, the way we typically end up finding out that they're not aligned with what we're thinking is they call the complaint. Right. So, you know, they're going to call and complain that we're out in whatever that, the, you know, the product is right. yours. And so, you know, then what we do find, like, I love those complaints because that means there has to be an education opportunity. So we'll then, you know, transmit that information to our sales leadership and, you know, they'll make sure on their next sales call that they'll, you know, cover what I talked about earlier, which is the why, which is, you know, why are we out on this given product now? So when you're looking at scaling profitability, do you define that pretty much as maintaining expenses or or talk about from your experience of scaling at a lot of different organizations, what's the best way to do that? Is it just changing the mix in the loans or, or, or what are your thoughts? So and sometimes it depends on the environment. So as I said, we're in an environment right now where there's where scarce capacity across the industry. So right now it's very much, you know, focused on trying to get what we think are, are the, the easiest loans, uh, to get through the system at the highest margin. That's what's going to deliver the most profitability. We are at the moment less focused on the expenses side in the short run because we, we just need to try and get the units through. So we will pay thing, you know, we'll pay overtime. Um, will and pay incentive bonuses in order to get people to work the overtime to be able to get the loans through the system because the loans have enough margin in, a, in them in order to make that work. In other environments, it's all about the expense side. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, making sure that your expenses are low enough that you can stay competitively priced and still make an adequate margin. So that's mortgage banking. It's sort of boom and bust. So the challenge right. is when you're 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 in a in an environment now where I'm saying expenses really don't matter, is making sure you're continuing to invest in your processes, process improvement, and your systems, because we're gonna come out of this environment. And when we come out of that this environment, we want to make sure that we're in a position where we're able to do the loans at a lower cost, so that we're able to maintain profitability and continue to grow it and maintain our our volume levels. So do you value, in other words, increasing of market share? And of course, there's a lot of debate, and this is certainly a Harvard Business Review topic, where we need to focus more on our growth share. In other words, looking at new uh, activities and innovation more so than just going defining yourself by market share. So I always look at it that what I want is profitable market share growth. I don't just want straight up market share growth. But there are definitely times when you're scaling an organization where market share growth is just in and of itself is important. So there was a period just a couple of years ago where for HomePoint, market share was important because what what we really wanted to do was start to become relevant. We wanted to make sure that we uh, were in the right conversations, that we were attracting the right type of people to our organization. And in order to do that, you need to, to, to meet a level of what I'll call relevance. Right. But then once you hit that level of relevance, then I think it does become much more important to focus on, you know, what is your correct market share number for the return on capital that you're trying to achieve? So what are your return goals? But then looking out and saying, okay, market share then becomes a component of our topic, which is scale. So you do have to look and say, how much scale do I actually need uh, to put on the organization to reach those long-term goals? 
in particular in servicing. So I, I know we're, we're talking a lot about origination, but servicing in particular is just a straight up scale business. And I guess my last question, because this is so interesting, Quicken has a market share of roughly 9.2% currently. They have projected in the next 10 years that they will go to a 25% market share. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that there could be consolidation. It, it, it hasn't happened yet in the mortgage space, um, but it does feel like the timing may be right for consolidation to happen. And so it's one of the reasons why at Home Point it was important for us to achieve that relevance kind of when we did, um, because as things start to consolidate, uh, we want to be one of those players that's participating there. Yeah, that's that's the benefit of scaling for sure. So that was mm-hmm. obviously pretty smart. Well, it's been terrific. And I want to thank you, Marie, for sharing really your thoughts today. Certainly, uh, you've covered a lot of ground in a short time period. So thanks so much. I want to suggest everybody listening to the podcast to rate it. And certainly go to www.petsherlock.com for our sales services and sign up for our weekly sales blog. Thanks so much, Maria. Thanks, Pat.